Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is Brandon Phoenix, a.k.a. I also hate Pitt, joined by my brother, Jeremy J.N. Fiend Phoenix. We are the Raspy Voice Kids. We do the Raspy Voice Kids podcast If you love West Virginia University, you will love our podcast. If you don't care about West Virginia University, you will love our pop culture segment. It begins every single episode. You can join in the fun anytime, anyplace. Get at your boys. Welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I am your host, Andy Mitz. We are continuing today with our season finale. This is the basketball episode. This is episode two of three of our season finale event here. Um, we are covering all of the biggest stories from the basketball team. We have a whole bunch of people coming back again today. All the guests you heard from yesterday are back for today's episode with college basketball. Talking about Kansas basketball, their favorite story from this season. The one rule that I put on for them, because it would be way too easy, everybody would talk about it, is that nobody could pick the national, winning the national title as their biggest story. So I wanted something other than that because, hey, guess what? I want to actually talk about other things other than the national title, which everybody can agree it was absolutely the biggest story of the college basketball season for the Jayhawks this year. Um, so we're going to go ahead and jump right in. I'm going to go ahead and get you over to the first ones right away. Um, I will be back again partway through. Uh, you know, we'll do our ad break partway through. It'll just go straight to it. You won't even, you know, I won't even break back in and, and tell you we're going to break. And then I'll come back at the very end and wrap up with my favorite story. Um, again, like uh, highlighting one thing that did not really get covered by anyone else to make sure that we're covering as many different things as possible. Because let me tell you, there's a lot of fantastic stuff. So, all right. Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, let's jump right in to the groups of people that we have coming on, or let's jump right in to our guests. And I'm joined by Jordan Gusky of the Topeka Capital Journal. Jordan, your best or your biggest or your biggest or the favorite, you know, story from the basketball team. I will say we are making an exception. You cannot pick them winning the national championship because I think that everyone recognizes that's the biggest story from the year. So, so something else about the team, whether it's an individual player, another game that you thought was really crucial or really great. Um, like what? What is the thing that jumps out to you the most, other than the fact that they went and won the national championship from this team this year? Yeah, I think it's that regular season finale um, against Texas at home. 
on, on senior day. Uh, just because you think about, sorry, you know, it, it wasn't really that many games. So it's not like it was some terrible trend that they were on. But they had sort of – it was a tough end of that season. And they also had to play like three games over the course of five days. So there was a lot being asked of them, a lot on the line with Baylor, eventually, you know, sharing the, the regular season title with them. But if they had lost that game, Baylor would have won that outright, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and then who knows what happens in the Big 12 tournament? Who knows what happens in the NCAA tournament? Um, I guess it could have gone a lot of ways from that. Maybe still positive. Maybe they rally after a loss. But – they were able to go into overtime, win that game at home, and then that coupled with that TCU win before it, you know, sort of gets them on the right track going to the Big 12 tournament. They win that, obviously, go win the NCAA tournament. So I just think that that game against Texas at home was crucial, a team that they had lost to earlier in the season in a game they probably should have won um, to get that win at Allen Fieldhouse and have Ochai and David and, and so many others, Mitch, Tehan, you know, Jalen Coleman, Lance, Remy, you know, go out on a on a winning note, I think was huge as that team went into, you know, later days in March. Yeah. I mean, and, and you can look at that game as kind of the springboard, right? That they needed to go on the run that they did in the big 12 and then in the NCAA tournament as well. Like there were legitimate questions having them, them having lost to TCU, you know, in Fort Worth about what was going on with this team, like which players were going to, you know, be able to actually turn it on. Like it never seemed that any of those players or the, it never seemed like they were getting to a point where all the players were gelling or all of them were playing as well as they, as they could have. Um, you know, and so there was a lot of questions. And while I don't think the Texas game in and of itself, like changed people's minds, the fact that McCormick had such a big game in that game, um, you know, it definitely helped a lot of Kansas fans who had seen the prior year where, you know, McCormick got COVID going into the Big 12 tournament and then wasn't the same in the NCAA tournament to see him being as effective as he was in that game and to see, them do what they needed to do to be a, a fairly good Texas team, um, I think was enough to kind of put a lot of fans mind at ease that while I don't know that anybody coming out of that game expected them to go on and win the national title, I do think that it went a long way, at least for me, to say, well, I think that they're going to be competitive. We're not going to have an instance where they just completely flame out. Yeah, and I think, you know, David delivered that day, delivered against Texas Tech in the Big 12 championship game tournament, delivered against North Carolina, and also Villanova before that. So yeah, David stepped up when they needed him most and, you know, you know, went out of, went out of champion. Yeah, for sure. And I'm joined now by Kyle Davis, our deputy editor over at Blue Wings Rising. Kyle, your best favorite, the biggest story for Kansas basketball this year. You are not allowed to pick winning the national title because that would be way too easy. So give me something else that you, that was the biggest impression for you from the, from the team this year. Did that happen this year? Did I miss that? Was that something that happened this spring? Um, Maybe. Okay. I, I'm not picking anything else from the tournament, I don't think, because all of it was just too stressful. Um, I, well, I don't know. This might also be a cop-out, but I, I don't know if anyone else has said the Missouri game yet because that was just 40 minutes of, of fun, uh, you know, bringing the rivalry back and then it just immediately turning into just a slaughter and Christian, like I'm going to miss Christian yelling expletives at opposing benches and the fans and whoever will listen uh, and dunking on people. And, you know, Harris had the game of, of his early year with, you know, being from Columbia, Missouri native and just that whole thing. Uh, you know, it was like the, uh, the, it was like the complete inverse of what, how the Kentucky game went a couple weeks later or a month or so later. But yeah, I think, you know, 
Missouri comes back. I know that they were not a good basketball team, but it was also, it's hard to beat anybody by 40 points, especially a power conference opponent. And when you know the adage of, you know, these two teams play, just throw the record books out the window. Well, the, this one was just, I think the, the, the personal stakes of guys like Duan and Christian and what it meant for them and Ochai, I think that be, I think that's probably up there. Um, and maybe uh, the runner-up is either Ochai's game winners against K-State and Texas in the three against Texas Tech in overtime. I feel like that's 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 tied for a runner-up, and I can't choose between the two of them, so I'm going to bucket them together. Yeah, there was a lot of big moments from this team, and honestly, if you wanted to focus on any particular player, you could come up with one, I think. And, you know, it could be a moment that could be your favorite moment. Um, I think to your point, like if the Missouri rivalry is going to come back and it's going to turn into any kind of rivalry that's going to be worth talking about, you know, short of just Kansas beating Missouri down every year, it's going to have to have those kind of storylines, right? It's going to have to have players that are extremely invested in that, players that are really looking forward to that game and can really have breakout performances. Um, Ideally, it would be nice for at least some of those games to be close for there to actually feel like there's real stakes in those games, but it was nice for the first really big one back to be those two players getting an opportunity to play in that game and really enjoy it. And you know, even Ochai Abaji, I was talking about how you know he grew up with the rivalry on the other side of the rivalry and was really looking forward to being able to play in that. And so you know, the fact that it had so many personal stakes for those guys, I think, is what made it as big of an event as it was. Even though you're right, it is kind of a footnote on the season, you know, a season where Kansas won a Big 12 title. They won, you know, a regular season Big 12, uh, like shared that, that title there and then won a national championship. It's all, all, a lot of that has overshadowed that particular game, but that's the perfect way to get back into that rivalry, to get back to a point where Kansas fans are going to actually care about it again is to have individual players who are just as bought into that game as they want the fans to be. And I'm joined again by Derek Johnson. He is the host of Rock Chalk Sports Talk over on 1320, uh, KWN over in in Lawrence. Uh, Derek, your best, your biggest, your favorite basketball story, and I'm sorry you cannot pick winning the national title because that would be way too easy for everybody. I know, right? Uh, You know, I I think the the story of redemption sticks out when you think of this team just in terms of whether it's redemption for the 2020 team or redemption of Jalen Wilson early in the year, the DUI situation. Um, Redemption for Ochai Baji of, um, I guess, I don't know, that might not be as much redemption, but just kind of circling through over the course of his career. Redemption for David McCormick, redemption for Remy Martin. Uh, But I I really want to look back and, and think back to like how close this team was to being a first weekend out. Um, and and I, I think more so this is just a lesson in how thin the margins are in college basketball, how thin the margins are in the NCAA. Thinking back, that Creighton game probably, like outside of obviously the North Carolina game where you're down 15 and a half, but, but outside of that, that Creighton game was probably the game that KU had the I don't know, highest percentage of, of possibly losing. Like you were down at halftime to Miami and you had little moments of uh, maybe doubt where you get down one or two against Providence. Um, I think it was you know, one was the most they got down in that one in the second half late. But right. uh, the Creighton game, like I, I was rewatching it the other day and, um, you know, Creighton's just hitting all these threes. KU's weathering the storm. They're staying up in front, but it's it's not comfortable distance. And then Creighton goes on that little run at the end there, and, and KU is up 73-72, I want to say. It was a one-point game. Creighton has the ball. And at that point, you're sitting there going, 
oh, no, what's going to happen here? And, and they throw the ball away. Ochai comes up with the steal, goes down, dunks it. It's a three-point game. Um, then you get the David McCormick block, um, and that might have been a possession before. I might be out of order with what happened here. But, like, you had to do so many things over the final moments of that game just to secure you winning. And, um, first of all, the whole idea that, you know, it, I, I love hearing this, that, oh, Creighton, you know, would have beat Kansas if, like, Ryan Kalkbrenner and all these guys played. It actually – went to Creighton's benefit in that game that Ryan Kalkbrenner did not play. Now, I don't know. Maybe maybe they would have been okay if Ryan Kalkbrenner played, and maybe they would have beat KU. I don't know. But I would just think that given what gave KU troubles in that game, it was the three-point shooting, the ability of a five-man in Kaluma, or if Ryan Hawkins was kind of playing as a big man, was able to stretch the floor and hit threes. If Ryan Kalkbrenner's in there, KU wouldn't have even had to worry about that, and Creighton wouldn't have taken as many threes. And that was what almost killed KU in that game. So it actually, like, almost helped Creighton just for that specific matchup with what they were doing in that game. And it's it's just crazy. If Dave McCormick doesn't get that block, if Creighton just doesn't throw the ball away, who knows what happened? I, I mean, if Jalen Wilson doesn't um, get a rebound off the Ojai Baji missed free throw on the front end of the one-and-one, it's 77-72. Like, KU's still in a good situation, but Creighton gets the rebound. There's still 20 seconds left. What if they go down, can a three? It's a two-point game. All of a sudden, you split the next pair of free throws, three-point game. Creighton hits a three. Like, it, it's just crazy how many little moments or how many little strings you can pull at and say, but if this didn't happen, they didn't win. And that, and that doesn't take away from anything that happens because you can do that with every champion, every team that wins it all. I just think it shows the delicacy of the NCAA tournament and making a deep run in March and why it is so special to do so and that you should never take any win in the NCAA tournament for granted. Yeah, there's a reason why my former co-host used to say that the NCAA tournament is crapshoot, right? Because you get in those sort of situations where something changes drastically from one round to another, where you're not ready scouting-wise for what a team is going to do because they have an injury or something drastically changes. Like, something happens that throws off the normal preparation you would have during the middle of the season. And so, like, that's why Bill Self is one of the best regular season coaches because he has that time to prepare he has that ability to kind of manage everything the way that he wants to, to be ready for any particular game in any particular spot in the schedule. When you get to the NCAA tournament, you have quick turnarounds. You have to try to, you know, really scout what they're doing, come up with a game plan, do all this stuff on a quick turnaround. And like we saw for Kansas multiple times, injuries to opposing players really changed the way that they had to think about how they were going to do things. It worked out really well against Villanova because Villanova didn't really have much to, to really combat what Kansas wanted to do. Um, but like you said, with, with Kalkbrenner out, like, I feel like anytime a big player is missing from a game and that team keeps it close, the natural thing to say is, oh my gosh, think to what they could have done if they were at full strength. But like you said, it completely changed the game plan. It changed the complexion, the way that both teams were playing. Like, I'm not, like, I'm not ruling out the possibility that they could have actually won that game, but it was definitely one of those things the game would have been entirely different if Kalkbrenner had played. But that's, I mean, kind of what, you know, happened for Kansas last year. You have to think about how lucky they were, um, how, in, in terms of health. Like, the only major injury was Remy Martin's knee, uh, which, you know, then kind of, kind of set up <laughs> a lot of the drama that kind of happened throughout the year was related to that, but gave him an opportunity to have that huge, you know, uh, the, like what he was able to do in the Big 12 tournament and then the NCAA tournament was absolutely fantastic for them. And, and honestly, like it, it was funny because when he was originally out with his knee issues, 
you know, we had said here on the podcast, it was like, well, if they keep him out for seven, you know, like seven games or like a month or something like that, and they can, they can, you know, like if I have to pick between limping Remy along and playing him a little bit here and there and getting a one seed or dropping down to a four seed because you take a few losses and then, but then Remy Martin is fully healthy. I would, I would take the four seed every single time because being healthy going into March is the main thing that helps determine who actually makes it deep. Um, and so that was fantastic for the Jayhawks. Um, you know, I, I fully expect next year, like looking at everything they have next year, they're, they're setting up to have a very similar roster for next year. But the biggest thing is going to be, can they be as lucky health wise and can they put, you know, get those good breaks to allow them to be able to make those deep runs. Yeah, this was, uh, I guess, the first year that a uh, Bill Self center hasn't been injured headed into the tournament. I know that's not true, but that just that's what it feels like. It feels like, feels like it, right. <laughs> Seriously. It, but even saying that, like, David McCormick did have his foot injury he was dealing with. So I, I guess that streak does kind of continue. And I'm joined now by Derek Knoll. He is uh, one of our analysts over at Blue Wings Rising. Derek, your best, biggest, your favorite story from the Kansas basketball season this year. And you are not allowed to pick the national championship game because that would be way too easy for everybody to pick that one. So come up with something else. (laughs) Um, No, I guess it has to be going to the final four then. Um, I didn't get a chance to actually watch that game. I was uh, following along on Twitter and on a game cast and I was out of the country at the time. So um, the win against Miami um, I was hoping again, hope against hope against hope against hope that we were not going to play Iowa State in that game. Um, not just because, I mean, I think they're going to hit KU beat Iowa State. It's just hard to beat people that many times. And when you know somebody that well, it makes it a little bit more difficult and all the pressure was going to be on Kansas. But um, yeah, I was getting updates on that, actually sitting at a restaurant in Rome from one of my buddies. I was on the Wi-Fi and he'd send me a text every here and again about it. And um you know, that was our first night out of the country too. So um, for me, this holds a special significance and it was the biggest moment for me because, you know, it kind of made my, you know, not that my vacation wasn't going to be great anyway, but it made it like, Hey, look that I get to, you know, when we get back from a day of sightseeing or whatever, I get to, I get to check all the final four action out and see what's going on and KU going down to new Orleans and everything else, this, that, and the other. So um, the Miami game then is, is the big moment for me. And especially since, um, you know, in retrospect, that that second half was one of the better halves that KU's put in for a long time. I think. Yeah, I mean, that second half there was when you first started feeling like, hey, Kansas could actually win the title. Like, yes, the fact they went to the Final Four, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things we talked about it previously um, here on the podcast that, like, going to the Final Four is the one thing that's not a national championship that in sports is an accomplishment, right? Like, like you can talk about winning a, 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 a division championship in a professional sport or something like that. Like, yeah, people usually talk about that, especially if you haven't done it in a really, really long time. But there's one thing short of a championship that everybody always admits is a huge accomplishment, and that's Final Fours. You know? Yeah. Teams hang banners for going to the Final Four. You know, it is one of those things because of the nature of the way that the tournament works. Like, it is seen as an accomplishment just to make it to the semifinals. Um, and so the fact that Kansas was able to do that and to be able to take advantage of that and, and you know, it had been a while since they did it. Like, Bill Self needed that for his own legacy. You know, you needed to be able to do that, especially, you know, I, I don't know that Kansas and Bill Self especially could have lived down another losing to a double-digit seed in the Elite Eight when you should have been favored to go to the Final Four. And, you know, that's not to take anything away f- uh, from Miami. They They really... 
got extremely lucky to be able to get there the way that they did and to, you know, to be able to face who they did going there. And it's, you know, you can't really complain as a Jayhawk fan because you got to play a Miami team, you know, and you get to play some of these teams that, that weren't necessarily the best seeded teams. But, you know, it was one of those things where that was like, that was where you knew that this team was something special and that we were going to remember this team, even if they weren't able to go and finish the national title. Um, but the fact that, of course, that they did it means that that becomes a stepping stone for them to get to the title. But you're right. Like, that was the moment where you were like, man, this team is actually really good. They're finally able to put it all together. You saw just how deadly they can be when they're on. And, of course, it was it was really helpful because that Miami game was also what gave you hope when Kansas was down by 15 points at the half to North Carolina, and they were able to come and storm back. I mean, it only took them like four minutes to come all the way back in that game as well. So it was kind of ridiculous to see them do that, but you had seen them do that multiple times earlier in the season, and so it gave fans a lot of hope. I know that I never really thought Kansas was out of that championship game because of what they saw against Miami. Yeah, and that's exactly it. And other games in the conference season, non-conference, where you're down by 10 and you make a comeback and this, that, and the other. So, yeah, overall – you know, if I don't pick national title, which you're not allowing at this time, I got to go with getting to the final four because it is a, such a huge deal. And it freed, I think it freed Bill up. It freed the entire team up. You know, they were looser. They they accomplished the goal. Obviously, with Kansas, the goal is winning the national title every year. But that final four, like you said, it's a trophy in and of itself. So, Yep, for sure. And I'm joined again by Scott Chasen. He is one of the hosts of The Drive over on WWW in Topeka. Scott, your favorite, your most important, or the biggest story from the basketball team this season, of course, as I've been telling everybody, you are not allowed to pick the national championship game because that would be way too easy. Yeah, well, I was going to go out of my way not to do that, and I'll, I'll do one more. I won't even take the David McCormick, uh, should he be Final Four MOP, should he not be, because, you know, quite frankly, I think that's a little too easy, too, although that's certainly one of the biggest storylines um, of the year, and obviously it culminated in you know, a pretty nice national championship game and final four performance. I mean, the final four game was the best game he's ever played. I'm going to take the emergence of Christian Brown to, you know, maybe not a surefire first round pick, but I think a very likely first round pick because um, when Christian Brown came into Kansas, I had talked to some people around that time and asked if they thought he could be, you know, a few year NBA guy, especially when you not, not immediately, but when you saw him play, especially that first semester, he had a nice kind of flash a stretch against Villanova. And it was clear that he was a little bit more athletic and could do more than just shoot. I think he shot over 40% from three that year. And so that's what I think most fans latched onto, but it it was pretty clear to me. He was more well-rounded and Bill Self always kind of highlighted how he would get 50, 50 balls in practice. Uh, I think Christian Brown's development as a ball handler, as a two point finisher um, was something that catapulted, skyrocketed his NBA draft stock. It was something that made his NBA, you know, his all-around basketball game just so much more complete and his NBA prospects higher. And it got to the point where he didn't need to shoot or make a lot of threes um, to have a big game, to have a big scoring game and help out Kansas. And, you know, I think about the second half of that national championship game. Uh, Obviously, you need big performances from a lot of guys. I'm sure Remy Martin will be a popular pick especially for what he did in March and and all the uncertainty with him. But when that second half starts and Christian Brown just starts putting his head down against North Carolina and driving and getting to the rim, you know, that's the kind of basketball normally admittedly coming from the point guard spot, but you, you would get in how many great Kansas teams that just needed something and they just gave it to this, you know, some guy and said, go to the rim, whether that was Malik Newman down the stretch of 2018, Devontae Graham, 
was great all season. A lot of people may not remember. He kind of struggled a little bit in the tournament, still had good numbers, but he was clearly gassed after just playing so many minutes. Uh, Frank Mason was obviously that for KU on a pretty great team. Sharon Collins could be that, you know, on many a great KU team. Tyshawn Taylor could be that, um, you know, on some great KU teams. So KU has typically had that one guard who just give the ball, say, get downhill and try and score. And, you know, maybe at times Jalen Wilson was that, but it almost became Christian Brown um, at times. And I think NBA teams or NBA personnel love how competitive and fiery he is. And certainly he's endeared himself to KU fans that way. So I think the emergence of Christian Brown uh, is as big a storyline as any. And I know I just touched on like 20 different ones and didn't even yeah. say Ochai Abaji. No, no, that's <laughs> fine. A whole lot. I mean, but yeah, I, I like Christian Brown's stuff. You know, it's it's funny because I saw a lot of parallels, especially looking back um, for, for Christian Brown back to Mario Chalmers on, on the 08 title mm-hmm. team. You know, a guy that made some big shots. And, and yes, like Brown didn't have the iconic moment of that one particular shot, but the way that he was able to kind of take the team on his shoulder at times during that, you know, during that particular game and also just during the run in, in general, like mm-hmm. it, it was, it was kind of weird because when I go back and I think about that, that 08 team, right. I don't think of Mario Chalmers as a guy who was a leading scorer or like really led in any of the s- statistical categories, but he did a lot of different things like all around, just a ton of different stuff. And it ended up with his performance, putting him at the end of the first round. And I think we're seeing a very similar thing with Christian Brown that, you know, you can't really point to one particular thing that he was the best at on that team, but he did everything so well that he was always in the mix and always getting himself set up to be able to contribute. And, you know, him, him and Jalen Wilson were the two guys that every single, like all the time throughout the year, I was sitting there looking at the box score, looking at what they had over on their Ken Palm page and stuff. It's like, I don't remember him being that productive or, you know, having that good of a game. But then you go look at the game that they had and just night in and night out, they were super consistent, bringing tons of stuff to the team to allow them to be successful. And I think that's the biggest thing. You know, Jalen Wilson is going to have an opportunity to kind of build on that this next year coming up. But like you said, Brown did it to such perfection. And I think, you know, his fiery temperament, like what he does makes you think about the moments that he does that a little bit better. Jalen Wilson was a lot more of kind of the, the laid back guy that would just go quietly do it. Whereas Christian Brown made sure that you knew that he was doing all that stuff. And and think about, you know, the highlight moments, be it the Duke, he, uh, the dunk, he got a technical foul for, be it the dagger shot he hit, um, I think in the Villanova game, all these games sort of start to run yeah, together with the one. Yeah. With the clock running down. And I mentioned the national championship game spark. It's just funny that he's a guy, his sophomore year, a lot of people, myself included, thought there was a good chance he might not start for this team. And yeah, now as, as the season got closer and closer, it became apparent that he was going to, and he was a lot better and he was a lot improved, but it, it is not revisionist history or, wiping away anything or creating a bigger storyline to say, you know, when Joe Yesifu came to Kansas, there was a lot of talk, a lot of it by Bill Self, by the way, that Kansas wasn't athletic enough. Kansas wasn't fast. Kansas wasn't quick enough. And that's, you know, what culminated in the USC game. Now let's not forget Jalen Wilson and David McCormick had COVID pauses (laughs) right before then. Kansas was playing at an elite, elite, elite level over the last month of the season. And quite frankly, had they not had that pause, I mean, they, they win against Oklahoma in the Big 12 tournament, even without a couple guys, um, and then they kind of get shut down for COVID. So I think the USC loss in some ways, I don't think that's a great indicator of how good that team was playing at the end of the year, especially David McCormick had a foot injury too. But Christian Brown had a really rough back half of that season, and it was 100% reasonable to say, yeah, Bill Self wants to get back to playing two guards next to each other. Christian Brown's coming off the bench. You know, he really, yeah. he developed, but he didn't get, you know, he didn't play 
sometimes when you play a bigger role, you put up bigger numbers, but your play isn't actually like better on a per minute basis or more impactful. And that was a, a very fair concern and question very quickly in his junior year. Christian Brown showed you that he had developed, that he had become more consistent. It didn't just need to be threes. And now I know a lot of people, I'm not one of these people, but who like Christian Brown as an NBA prospect. I mean, fans, I mean, people who watch the NBA, uh, they like Christian Brown as an NBA guy somewhat more than Ochai Abaji, just because they see the ball handling. They see the Mm -hmm. shot creation. Now Ochai is going to be a a back end lottery guy, probably in the 15 to 20 range. And if Christian Brown's lucky, he'll be in the 27 to 30 range, maybe a little bit higher, maybe a little bit lower than that. I absolutely think Ochai Abaji has a much higher floor. I think he can shoot on the move. I think he's better, um, better functional athlete. Although at times Christian Brown plays to his better I think Ochai is a better defender, you know, good length. He'll, he'll have a role in the NBA, no matter what, but Christian Brown learned how to create off the bounce. And that is a very unique um, skill for a wing to have. It's not a unique skill for a guard, but for a wing to just be able to kind of get his shoulders past you and get to the bucket like that, that's something Ochai didn't do. That's something Jalen Wilson can only do when he's playing a guy who's much bigger than him. Something a lot of very successful KU wings haven't done or haven't been able to do in the NBA. Josh Jackson was a guy who could do that in college, couldn't do it in the NBA. So I think that's the one skill you look at with Christian and say, if that continues to go up with improvements to shooting defense, all that other stuff you have to do to stay on the court, that's the skill that could actually make him special and the skill that could make him kind of catapult up and have a great NBA career as compared to just being, you know, a good solid NBA player. Yeah. I think the one thing that works in Christian Brown's favor is that I think it's really easy to imagine what type of role he's going to play in the NBA. Whereas with Ochai, you can slot him in at a, a, you know, a few different kind of types of roles that he might potentially have, but there's not one that's like for sure, you know, exactly what he's going to be when he's on an NBA roster. So I think, you know, those that are kind of, Weighing more towards Brown, I think it's because they know what he's going to do at, at the NBA level, and they're very solid knowing that he can actually do it. I, I, I do agree with you. I think that Ochai is going to be a better NBA player overall, but I wouldn't be upset if I was wrong and Brown just went out and, you know, completely <laughs> just blew the doors off of everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, real quick, I, I just jump in and say, I, I actually said on Twitter earlier today when, when we're recording this, I would bet money on uh, Ochai Abaji being a good solid NBA player who can get minutes, whether it's a playoff team, whether it's a, you know, a bad team at the bottom of the league, I would feel very confident in Ochai Abaji having a long and fruitful NBA career. I would also probably bet some money on him being a better long-term prospect than Christian Brown at this point. But I think Christian Brown has at least worked himself into the conversation where it's not crazy to theorize about what he could do to really not just be better than Ochai, because that's not the bar at the NBA level, but to actually be like a really, really good NBA player who makes a lot of money, you know, to get to a level where obviously it wasn't this way this year for Devontae Graham, who kind of struggled on a playoff team, but to where he's earning double digit million dollar contracts, making a lot of money, setting himself up. Christian Brown is a really fun player to watch. He needs to get more consistent. He needs to improve his shooting release. He needs to get quicker with that. He needs to shoot more on the move. He needs to show he can do it defensively. But he's a, he's a really fun player to watch. He's a really exciting player. And in many ways, he was kind of the ultimate Bill Self college basketball player. And I think that's why he really endeared himself to fans. For sure. And I'm joined once again by my former co-host, Steve Fetch. Uh, Fetch, biggest, best, your favorite story from the basketball team and it's cheating to say them winning the national title title because because everybody would be saying it right yeah so 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 give me something else i don't don't know if you knew but uh yeah they won a national championship um i I think you know it's just the fact that um the fact that i mean 
I guess how how can you do it without talking about the national championship? But I think it's the fact that this team is the team that did it. If you lined up, you know, all twenty or whatever teams Bill Self has had at Kansas, eighteen, I think. Um, in terms of talent, individual talent, this team certainly would be in the bottom ten, and I think you could make an argument that it's in like the bottom five uh, of talent, especially when you look at the fact that you know Remy Martin barely played during the regular season. So the fact that it was this team that came out after. You know, you look at the Joel Embiid injury in 2014. You look at, um, you know, the the Trey Burke shot in 2013, the awful foul calls against Devontae Graham in 2016, the couple banked three-pointers in that Oregon game in 2017, the Villanova onslaught in 2018. Like, the fact that they finally got a, a pretty decent uh, road to the championship, and they came through and, and they won. And, you know, they did it with the biggest comeback in uh, championship game history. They did it, you know, frankly, they were down six at halftime against Miami, and I think a lot of people thought, oh, boy, here we go again, and, and they came out, and um, I think it was the biggest Elite Eight victories since 92 or 93, if I remember correctly. So um, the fact that this team did it, the fact that, you know, they couldn't have done this without every single one of the players on the team. You know, a lot of people are trying to, like, pit Remy Martin against Dewan Harris, and I like Remy Martin more, therefore – you know, he should play all the time and Harris should be on the bench or, or vice versa. They needed both of them. Um, you know, you saw it uh, when it was late in the game. Who did Bill Self go to for big baskets in that championship game? It was, you know, Remy Martin with the big step back three. It was Remy Martin with the, the corner three. Um, obviously, they don't win that Creighton game without uh, how well he played offensively in the first half. But when it came time, you know, they were up three with four seconds left and they had an inbounds pass. They drew that up for Dewan Harris. So they needed both of them. You know, they needed Jalen Wilson with the dirty work on the offensive glass. They needed Christian Brown for all of his, uh, you know, trash talk um, to keep it PG rated. You know, they needed Dave McCormick to step up and play the best three weeks of his entire career. Um, and, you know, where did, where did they go in the NCAA championship game when they needed a basket late? They went to David McCormick. Where did they go with the last possession of the game when they were up one and wanted to make it, you know, a, maybe a two possession game, but a three point game, at least they went to David McCormick. So um, they needed all those guys. And it was just a, a really good collection of basketball players. And the quote I think is that's going to stand out to me more than anything. is Bill Self saying um, this team's not the most individually talented team I've ever had, but they think they are. And that's the type of team that, they were all year, you know, they, they were sometimes I think it seems like they were at odds with Bill Self. I mean, you know, Christian Brown tweeted a couple of times, Hey, that's a lot of rings for a team that needed to get more athletic. You know, they took all these challenges and, and stored them away and, and met them and overcame them. And it was just a, a really special group of kids and a really special team. Um, so that's probably, I mean, you know, I don't know how you could say much else, but that that's what I'll remember is just kind of the, the journey and, and how, you know, all of the, um, all the missed chances and stuff kind of get washed away with this championship. And um, also, you know, kind of some, some slaying of some, slaying of some dragons too. You know, I mentioned that Villanova 2018 uh, onslaught by them. Kansas did that to them in 2022. And then, you know, Jay Wright retired. Um, so, you know, I like Jay Wright, but I had to be like, yeah, you know, they, they got him so good that he retired. Yeah. You know, and then, <laughs> um you know, they, they were they were one Duke win away from maybe getting rid of Coach K as well. And then obviously, you know, Mike Emmert er, is going to retire. So, or Mark Emmert, I'm sorry, is going to retire. You know, the, the head of the NCAA. So talk about another dragon that they slayed. Yeah. I mean, they're, you know, 
just getting rid of everyone. And, and now I think that, that Bill Self is unquestionably the king of college basketball. Kansas is at the top of the sport, and, and I think they can maybe go on a little bit of a run here, or maybe they can win another one or two in a couple of years. And, you know, Bill Self can cement himself as one of the best five or so guys to ever do it. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot there. Uh, you know, they, they did a lot of stuff here with a team, like you said, that wasn't the most athletic, wasn't the, you know, the best, most talented team that they ever had. But, you know, that's the thing that they had was they had the most confidence. They, they had the most attitude. Like, they they had pretty much everything that you needed to be able to overcome the challenges that they had. And like you said, every single player on this roster was was required to do it. Like, you can go back... And you can literally point to, like, you can point to times where Clemens came in and took over a game. You know, K.J. Adams, like, that defensive play at the end of the, the half against Miami, you know, like, that was a, a big moment that kind of stood out for him. And it was a, a tiny moment in the entire season. But, like, if you don't have that, you don't set that tone at the end of the half, you know, maybe Kansas doesn't come out as well as they did in the second half. Um, you can point to, like, the game for uh, for Jalen Coleman lands, you know, um, you know, I, I'm trying to remember which which game that was the, the George Mason game. You know, like you can point to for every single player on this roster, you can point to at least one moment where they were the guy for this team. And so for them to come and bring all of that together was just absolutely fantastic. And look, all of our guests today are sharing their favorite stories. And of course, we all agreed at the top. The biggest story was national championship that the Jayhawks got. And what better way to celebrate that than heading on over to sponsor here on the podcast, Homefield Apparel. Homefield Apparel has the most vintage, I'm sorry, the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel anywhere. Um, they have t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, joggers, a whole bunch of stuff over there. Absolutely fantastic stuff. Uh, you know, they have more than 120 different schools, including the Kansas Jayhawks. They have a national championship shirt for the Jayhawks. It is still available. It is absolutely fantastic. Make sure you guys go ahead and get yourself one. If you head on over to homefieldapparel.com, use promo code CHALK12. You can get 15% off your entire first order. All orders over $100 have free shipping. Um, but, you know, I guarantee you're going to find a whole bunch of stuff, not just Kansas stuff. And it's all not the national championship gear. They have a, a huge Kansas line that has a bunch of really great stuff. I love the hoodies that they have. They're all fantastic. Um, but you're going to find stuff from pretty much any other school that you can think of that has great vintage college logos that are absolutely fantastic. I have way too many of them that are in my cart, things that I want to get, but I haven't had an opportunity yet. And I can tell you right now, uh, you know, my wife is probably going to be not so happy about all the money I'm going to spend getting Homefield stuff. So head on over to homefieldapparel.com. Promo code CHALK12 gets you 15% off your entire first order and all orders over $100 have free shipping. If you love the Big 12, then we have the show for you. The 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 conference. Forget the SEC, forget the Big 10, and forget national podcasts that only talk about Oklahoma and Texas. We talk about the Sooners and the Longhorns. We also talk about the Cyclones, the Cowboys, the Wildcats, the Mountaineers, the Jayhawks, the Red Raiders, the Horn Frogs, and the Bears. We love the whole Big 12, and we are available everywhere that podcasts are found. So go and find the 1012 podcast and subscribe today. And I'm joined once again by Mike Vernon, the KU Scoopsmeister. Mike, uh, your best, biggest, favorite basketball story of the year. And no, it cannot be them winning the national championship because that would be cheating. Oh, my favorite basketball story from the year? Literally, like, it doesn't even necessarily need to be your favorite. Like, it's, oh, no, it's the I, one I, that, like, stands out to you the most, whether it's because it's your favorite or it's well, the biggest I'm one. I'm going to remember or... Remy for pretty <laughs> obvious reasons. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I kind of um, figured you'd go there, but I was going to let you it's, say it's, it. It's the Remy Martin saga that that transpired and that I 
ended up involved in and, and you've got Bill Self saying he knows a hell of a lot of and more than some other people out there. And I'm pretty sure I was uh, the other person being referenced. I think that's probably not too crazy to say. Uh, and really wild. I, I mean, it just took on such a life of its own. Certainly, you also had such an electric player so different than a Bill Self basketball player who's already set in his ways uh, coming in and having to adjust and Bill Self adjusting to the transfer portal. We saw it play out live over, you know, in front of our eyes. There's the knee injury, you know. I am more confident, cut this out, put it out there as a clip that's going to get me in trouble. I am more confident than ever in the validity that something was going on based on conversations I've had with people after the season. Uh, and I don't know. I hope, I hope there's context. I'd certainly put out that there's a rumor that Remy Martin wasn't going to play again this year and that there, there had been tension with Bill self. I'd also said in the very same tweet that there's hope it could be worked out. Um, all of, all of that I'm very confident in. I'm very confident that Remy and Bill had issues i think during the year but bills can have issues with players during the year right too. Uh, it's it's it's, it's normal part of it and, and and i think the one thing that I'll, i think a lot of people fail to realize is that in that sort of reporting and kind of talking about those sorts of things you know unless we have a, a clear view into an actual call like a recording of a conversation that was had or like a screenshot of a text between bill self and remy martin something to that effect there's no way to prove or disprove what you actually did you can just talk about or what you actually said you can talk about what you're hearing and honestly the only thing you said was that there's a rumor out there that this is what the conversation is and so it's like it's one of those things the rumor where, was out there right right it, it, exactly right it was but it, i like it's one of those things where unfortunately stuff like that takes on a life of its own where people want to you know kind of show up <laughs> other people and say no you didn't know what you were talking about right um, but right. it's it's one of those things we knew that there was some tension. There was some tension early. There, you know, there was other reporters that were saying, like, early in the year, dealing with the injuries he, didn't he had. Start preseason. First, like Emporia State. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but but it's also normal. It like we've seen Bill Self have tension with some of his te- with some of his players. You know, that's extremely normal. Any good coach is going to have tension with their good players because you're trying to you know bring everybody together and worry about all the different like you know uh, you know concerns that each of these players have, the things that they want to be able to do. You know, like if you don't have that, I would almost be more worried because that means that either the t- the player or the coach is checked out. And if that happens, that means that they're not going to be able to contribute. Right, right. You have a very passionate basketball player. Remy obviously loves basketball. You can tell when he's playing how much fun he's having. Self, one of the most passionate, freakishly competitive people you'll ever meet or see or have the privilege of getting to watch. And he also has a set system bit of a cookie cutter way of how he likes his players to operate. Remy didn't fit the mold. They didn't have the benefit of time. It is normal. This one was, I think, still worse than normal, than normal, you know, self and Brown are pissed at each other today. I, you know, I don't know, just hypothetically. Yeah. So I do think that it was pretty legitimate. Uh, and again, I am more confident, <laughs> more confident than ever based on conversations postseason, that that was fair to say. However, I could have worded it better. 
definitely want to take responsibility for that, that it, it was clumsy. The way, the way the order of the tweet was clumsy. People have cut it uh, off where I say there's hope it'll be worked out. And I've seen the tweet that just has the beginning of it. <laughs> and, 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 you know, after the first sentence, I know, I know better. People will read the first sentence and, and, and then immediately react. Lost yep. them. Right. So I should have ordered it better uh, and thought about it a little harder. Certainly took on a life of its own. You know, he did the post-game workout with the coach there on the court after the game, and I got really upset with <laughs> some of the beat riders just taking it and being like, look, there's Remy. Like, come on. That doesn't happen. And then, you know, um, he ended up coming back and being so electric and truly – Talk about a guy who, who, without, I was going to say put his money where, where his mouth is, and I referenced that in the football one, but I'm realizing they'll be detached uh, or come in different order. Sorry. No, it's spoiled. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I, I think he was someone who really backed up what he was saying that he came to be there in March and play for a championship. Um, you know, other, other thoughts, the players really have his back. Uh, Listen to Chris Tehan and Mitch Lightfoot on uh, an, a rival podcast of this, and they they really had. We're not rivals. <laughs> I know. Every, no. No, we got g- good people across the board doing these podcasts, but the the players were like, "Yeah, you know, what the hell are they talking about?" Gurley came on, someone else, and said, "Yeah, there was never an issue." Like that's, and I I think my response was like, "And Greg Gurley's never had a beer in his life," you know, like. <laughs> You know, we're getting lied to here. Uh, protecting it's not, brain, it's they. not lying, but, it is putting on no, a was, rosy picture, like it's uh, a yeah. selective, selective editing. <laughs> but, but certainly, I, I did a, a Twitter space with T Han, and, and he had uh, Remy's back as well. Um, where he just kind of was saying, you know, I sat next to him, I saw his knee being messed up. Um, that's great. I never doubted. I, I said all along also, his teammates loved him. He was a great teammate. He had their back. He was there to have fun. He wasn't, you know, negatively impacting their time in a way that other players maybe have in the past. But I'm still very confident that yeah. but, but I, I <laughs> that think the issue is real. Like, I think ultimately what came out of that story, though, is there was tons of stuff happening behind the scenes. And, you know, stuff flying all over the place. There was tons of people that were, you know, having problems here and there. And they had to mesh a lot of different things. But the fact that they were all able to come together and put together the kind of run that they did was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, it was great. Finally. You know, other people have talked about how, like, it's crazy that it was that particular team that did it. You know, think of all the other great teams that Bill Self has had. You know, but the fact that they were able to overcome all of the issues and, you know, kind of deal with these unique situations that they had throughout the season and be able to come back multiple times against, you know, different opponents and do all of this different stuff. Like it is really hard to think of any particular moment. Like there's so many different moments that you could have picked, you know, from this entire season. And I couldn't have argued with any single one of them. Like you could pick pretty much every moment in the season and say that that is your biggest or your favorite or the most, like the thing that you'll remember the most because there's a ton of them. And and certainly, you know, Bill Self dealing with the loss of his father in uh, just load the wagon, you know, the sign, there were incredible moments through that season. And I don't, 
I don't think anyone will ever truly know how close this thing didn't came to not to, to Bill not even coaching in the tournament. I really think that was being discussed via NCAA and IARP um, at, at times in January and in February, you know, around the, the Kentucky game when it wasn't looking so good and, you know, move it up, get it done with. I, I really do believe that there things could have gone just different ways and, and behind the scenes, like not even talking about the game outcome. Yeah. Of course, Remy and Bill and being one, and then I think NCAA, IRP, and another, and um, just all of it. I mean, just it's a lot of stress for for the coach as well. So it's just had to be the most rewarding, redemptive, validating result you possibly could have expected, or you possibly could have had happen, not expected. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it's basically everything you could have hoped for. So. It was incredible, yeah. And I'm joined now by Jesse Newell. He is the Kansas City Chiefs beat writer now over at the Kansas City Star. Um, but, of course, you know he has been covering the Kansas Jayhawks for a long time. Got to f- cover the Jayhawks in a national title run for the basketball team as well, um, which must be fascinating as kind of one of the last things you do covering a team. But, uh, <laughs> Jesse, what was your biggest uh, favorite or most impactful story from the basketball team. And of course, as I've been telling everybody, it's cheating to pick the national championship. So, so what else you got for me? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll make a reference to the national championship, but um, to me, the story of the season and, and something I will just never forget is the Dayton game early down there in Florida. And um, I mean, it just encapsulates so many of the storylines of the entire season, which was game point, uh, Remy was kind of being Remy, playing a little bit of ball hog, even though he made some of his shots. They run a set play at the end. He's in the wrong place. They throw it to David McCormick. David McCormick doesn't pass it out. He gets the turnover, and KU Nation completely freaks out. And I remember writing that story about, hey, you guys can blame Dave if you want. He didn't make a great play, but Remy Martin was in the wrong spot, and uh, you know that, that's the reason the play didn't work. And, I mean, it was KU Nation was on fire, basically. Like, Bill Self will never win another title. He throws it too much into his big man. He doesn't trust Remy. He should let him cook. He should just let him do whatever he wants. It doesn't matter if he can't run plays, all those sorts of things. Uh, And so I wrote about this in the National Title Game because you fast forward six months, and it's just amazing to think about that storyline compared to how they won the National Championship. How did they do it? Remy became a team player, learned the plays, became more like Self, self catered himself more to Remy kind of let Remy be Remy a little bit maybe further along than he's ever been with a player and then what did they do on the two biggest possessions of the game they threw the ball inside of David McCormick and let him work so um that to me I just the flip of that the flip of um the KU fan reaction to losing that game to Dayton so early in the season but like to uh Dave will never be a great player he's the reason that KU's not going to advance he's the biggest weakness to have that flip and for him to be always remembered now as a KU great. I, I, um, I mean, I listen, I, I, I'm honest with this. I will raise my hand, especially his junior season. He started off awful his junior season. Uh, that first semester, he was not efficient. He was turning it over. He was uh, not making twos. He was, uh, he was not a good player. He was not passing either. And the time I said, Hey, KU should go five guards. I mean, if you're not going to get anything from Dave, then you might as well put Jalen Wilson in there, play five guards and right. run up and down the court and have a good offense. 
After that point, he had the all Big 12 second half. That second yeah. half of the year was basically the player of the league almost. Uh, played great. And then, you know, people didn't really appreciate it, but I was all on Team Dave his senior season when he was efficient, making almost all of his free throws, and then becoming more unselfish. And not to be overlooked in the national title game, he had a couple seals inside, which is something he didn't do his entire Kansas career. So to me, the Dave McCormick growth arc, um, he's, he's obviously a guy um, who takes all the criticism very, very deeply. You know, he's a very conscientious kid, a very nice kid. It just, you can tell for a long time, uh, he had the weight of the world on his shoulders and he was playing injured. And so for him to have the sort of career arc he did and have it end up how it did in the national championship game and, and to kind of be redeemed and again, always be loved in Lawrence, Kansas for the next 50, 60 years of his life. I, I think that's one of the coolest stories that's going to come out of this uh, for a long time because a kid like that deserves it. And again, hearing crap from people, even like me, uh, that, you know, a kid like that who can come out on top and, and show everybody wrong, including this guy right here. Uh, he deserves everything he gets from this point forward. Well, and it was kind of funny because, I mean, I think the overarching story of the entire season was the development of the team, like as teammates, as individual players, you know, as Bill Self kind of, you know, growing into coaching this team and this collection of talent. Um, you know, I think that's really what happened this year. Like the beginning of the year, it was it was awful. There was almost too many options, right, for them to figure out what the the best way that they should throw guys out there, what sets they need to be running. They had too many, too many possibilities. And you, you kind of saw that when, with Remy trying to, to do what Remy would do without the kind of clear direction of exactly what he needed to be doing and, and, or, or not understanding correctly exactly what it was he was supposed to be doing. And of course his injury early kind of played into that, but there was just a lot of people that weren't on the same page, but the way that the team grew together and was able to support each other as they were going through the end of that season, you know, Remy having a huge, Will part in the end of the Big 12 tournament and then the first few rounds of the NCAA tournament. You know, you had pretty much every single guy had a moment throughout that season where they really pushed the narrative of this team forward and really got them to where they needed to be. And so, you know, you, you, you hear the cliches all the time about how it really is a true team effort, how if, you know, one of those guys wasn't on the team, that the result may not have been the same. But I can point to specific instances for pr almost every single player on the roster of they contributed something in a key moment of the game that really made up what that team was when they got to the tournament. Yeah, speaking of horrible predictions, I remember going on Derek Johnson's show in 1320 and he was asking me, like, uh, what do you expect from Ochai Abaji? And I was like, mm, about the same as last year yeah. for game-wise. <laughs> I mean, the guy doesn't have that high of a ceiling. You know, you kind of saw he's he's not really a, a team leader. He's not a guy that's really going to just take over and scoring and all that stuff. So, again, speaking of horrible takes, I mean, you can't neglect that either. Like, the local kid comes back to school, makes himself a first-round draft pick, and wins – Every award. I mean, yeah. like other than national player of the year, can you do better than big 12 player of the year, big 12 conference tournament, uh, most outstanding player. And then final four MOP. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for his development as well. And again, happening to a great kid, uh, somebody we all enjoy talking to and um, you know, deserves the success he got, you know, he worked in the off season and I will say that as well. You know, I, I went to uh <sighs> Peter Daniliv here in uh, Lawrence, you know, he's one, he's the trainer that helps work with these guys. And I, I do want to say, like, I think Bill Self is one of the best when it comes to in-game tactician stuff, like figuring out matchups, figuring out how to win. And he, I always say this, he treats every game like the Super Bowl, which is like one of his greatest strengths. And sometimes it can be a weakness yeah. because it sometimes limits maybe early in the season, what rotations he knows he can do. But I mean, the guy wants to win every game. He's so competitive. 
Um, but, you know, ha- having said all that, um, you know, with, with, with what he does with the rotations and everything, um, you know, you look at some of the guys that developed in the offseason. I mean, this was the same team that got blown out by USC uh, by 34. And people are going, you know, is Christian Brown going to start next year? Well, Christian Brown went and worked with Peter over the summer. And all of a sudden, the dude's got a floater, and he's got a step-back shot, and he's making all his threes, and his release is quicker on his three-point shot. You got Jalen Wilson, um, who struggled during the year after his DUI, and all of a sudden, he goes back to Peter, and he's feeling confident in the lane, and he's shooting his right-handed shot off the glass, and it's going in, and he's making more three-pointers, including crucial ones. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, Ochai Abaji, go and work with Damian Lillard, um, all those sorts of things. That's just uh, – those guys deserve credit because they took that motivation – and it wasn't just them working at KU. It was them taking themselves and saying, I'm going to get better. I'm going to go in the offseason when no one's watching. I'm going to go to Peter and approach him about getting better. And listen, Peter deserves some credit, too. I mean, the guy seems like a pretty darn good trainer with uh, what he's done for Kansas and other players here uh, in you know the recent years. And uh, has worked extensively with Grady Dick, which is why I'm really excited to see what Grady Dick does at Kansas this next year. Uh, but real quick, too, I, I want to be remiss to say that um, another one, a moment that the K-State comeback is just, it's going to get sort of overshadowed in national championship year, which is fine. But um, that was amazing. That was crazy. I mean, Bill Self, that emotional and his team coming back where there was no margin for error in that second half. And um, just seeing him after that game, you could tell he hadn't been sleeping. He hadn't been around the team and to see the emotion. And I remember asking him afterwards, you know, what his dad would have thought of that or, or how they came back with toughness, which is exactly what, his dad personified. And so, you know, you can't write away that aspect of it either because this was an emotional year for Bill Self for a lot of reasons. You can include the NCAA stuff in there too and, and the stuff still going on with them. But um, that was that was a crazy moment, a memorable moment for Kansas basketball. And I do think we at least need to touch on, finally for Kansas, they had a bracket fall their way. I mean, it's just been so long for them where it's like they wake up on Selection Sunday and you look at it and you go, Good Lord, how did how did they get Gonzaga and these other teams? How did they get, you know, and, and upsets haven't fallen in front of them. And for a year, it just did, you know. They got Creighton when a dude was hurt. They got Villanova when a dude was hurt. They got North Carolina when a dude was hurt. And then he went down again in the last minute of the game. So um, it just shows you, like, we can all talk about the best teams going in the tournament, that, but that's why the tournament's the tournament. That's why it's a one-and-done deal. And Kansas had not had bracket luck for a long time. They took advantage of every step of their bracket luck, but um, they didn't run into a better team than them in the NCAA tournament. So part of the credit goes to them, and part of the credit just goes to chance. And you take advantage of that, you win a national title. That's exactly what Kansas did. Yeah, you know, it's 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 one of those things. I've talked about this with a few people. You know, to, to win a national title, you have to be a combination of good, lucky, and healthy. And Kansas had all three of those um, yeah. in, in spades for a good portion of the year. But kind of back to the point about Kansas State, like, you know, you talk about a moment early in the season that really set things up. And I don't remember who it was that I saw a quote about and, um, you know, but talking about how they they knew that they had done something like that before. Coming back against Kansas State, being down so much at halftime that they knew they could do it against North Carolina. And so it was just a matter of taking, you know, that experience that they had before and applying it now to the absolute biggest stage in all of college basketball. Um, but you know, that's, that's really what's going on with this team, right? They had, they basically had seen pretty much everything by the end of the year. Um, so they had a ton of experiences to be able to call back to, to be able to, to pull from those and be able to, to propel themselves forward in the tournament. Yeah. And you also look at a guy like Christian Brown, just becoming who he was. I mean, I, 
I kind of talked about this a little bit, but the pandemic year, I thought really sapped him because the crowd was gone. And like the first year he was shooting those three point arrows into the crowd and doing all these crazy antics. And then like without anybody there, it's just sort of hard, right? I mean, you're going to do that for a thousand fans when you get some flight golf applause. Yeah, I mean, I just think of the number of times he got fired up by opposing fan bases, trash talking him and that you know fired him up. When you don't have very many fans in there, there's not very many opportunities to have, you know, quote unquote, run-ins with opposing fan bases. Yeah, well, and I mean, the NCAA tournament, it turned into something completely different. Uh, his Fair. MO was just <laughs> cussing at his own team's fans and parents and <laughs> media and whoever it was just, he was gazing in the direction of. He was just, he was cursing. But uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, I, Bill Self, I thought, said it really well. And, uh, you know, I, this is one of the great things about covering Bill Self is he, he will give you, he will, when he talks about his team, he talks pretty openly. He's not very guarded a lot of times. And uh, he tells you what he thinks and he gives you pretty good insight into what he believes about them. And he had an early quote, I think it was around February when he said it. I remember like bringing up with uh, our fellow Thomas Valley Gregorian. And I think Sam McDowell too, just to say, hey, I, I think this is interesting because I hadn't heard this from him before, but I think it sort of summed up this year's team. He was in an ESPN interview and he said something to the effect of, this is not the best team I've ever had, but these guys think they're the best team that I've ever had. And I, I think that sort of maybe kind of encapsulates exactly what we're talking about with this team, which is if you look at the Ken Palm numbers, if you look at the advanced stats, if you look at all those things, um, no, this wasn't Bill Self's best team. And again, some of the bracket luck helped them out as well. But when you're down against Miami or Creighton or North Carolina at halftime, you have the biggest comeback in the NCAA tournament or NCAA championship in history, or you're down 16 and a half time at K-State, um, to come back, and you know, as much as I'm a numbers guy and an analytics guy, to come back, you got to have something inside you that says I can do this. You know, I, I, right. I, I'm I'm good enough to come out here. I'm the better team. I'm the better guy, and I'm going to win my match up here straight for 20 minutes. I'm not giving up. And well, and there's this, a reason this team had that. You yeah, know what I mean, this team had that. The, there's a reason when teams get big, they usually don't you know lose it. I mean, obviously, one because they were better in the first half you know, to be able to build that huge lead. But also there's a psychological factor of when you're down that far, it is very hard, no matter how good a team is, to be able to do it. And so, you know, if you don't have that belief in yourself that you can come all the way back and do it, a lot of times that's that's, uh, that self-fulfilling prophecy where you you don't necessarily try as hard, you don't do everything you need to do. This is a team that never gave up. This is a team that always had that fight, always believed that they were going to be able to do absolutely everything they put their minds to. And ultimately it ended up with the absolute best outcome that you could possibly get. Yeah, I think the TCU game on the road, too, was a big turning point. Uh, I know Bill Self points the Kentucky one where they got their teeth kicked in, but uh, I've heard from you know a lot of players that the TCU one where Ochai stands up in the locker room and says, hey, it's not in and like this. And KU looked tight down the stretch, but was able to win those games and grind them out. And obviously, uh, that's a quality that Bill Self loves with his teams, and they didn't lose the rest of the way. So this team is going to be remembered for a long, long time, and a lot of that is because of the things we're just talking about, whether it comes to grit, toughness, uh, improvement in the offseason, or, uh, again, just a team coming together, as you mentioned, really important, healthy, and coming together at exactly the right time. For sure. And I'm joined now by Bren- Brendan Dwerzynski. He is one of the co-hosts of 580 Sports Talk over on WIBWFM in Topeka. Uh, Brendan, your best, favorite, biggest basketball story. And to be fair to everybody, you cannot pick them winning the national championship because that would be way too easy. And that's the only thing we'd be talking about the entire episode. Far too easy. Can I go with a moment from the run to the national championship? Sure. Though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's fine. Because that one is also very easy to me. And I am going to Chicago, Illinois, 
last weekend of March, Miami in the Elite Eight. And and for me personally, I, I have an additional personal touch to this. I was there. I was lucky enough uh, through WWW to go cover the first two weekends of the NCAA tournament this year. And I was in Chicago, which is also my hometown. So it was you know, very, very emotional game for me, obviously. And I remember at halftime, KU looks like crap and, and it's a disaster. And, you know, those last couple minutes or the last couple moments really of that first half, Bill Self throws in Jalen Coleman lands and KJ Adams essentially as the, okay, well, if you guys aren't going to try, maybe these guys will try kind of moment. And I remember thinking, okay, well, KJ had that big play and J Cole was trying to make something happen on offense. All right. Maybe there's some positive momentum. And I went down to the concourse because one of my best friends, also a KU grad uh, from Chicago was at the game. And I, I was talking to him and some of his friends and he said, man, I'm nervous. Like I I'm very nervous. Now, granted, I think he also had a lot of money riding on the game, but he was just nervous about what the result was going to be anyway. And I told him, I was like, hey, look, if any team that Bill Self has had in recent years, you know, since that last championship team was resilient enough to stay in this game, it is this KU team. So I'm not writing them off, even though this looks ugly. And then the lid came off. Miami melted down. KU got impossibly hot. And that was sort of the microcosm of the whole season. And we almost got a repeat of that in the national championship game, the awful end of the first half. And in the national championship game, you didn't even get KJ and J Cole making big plays. They came in and they weren't even even able to make a big impact. And I thought, Oh boy, this is not, this is not going to go very well. And then obviously we're going to end up seeing a sixth banner hung at Allen Fieldhouse coming up probably at late night in the fog. But that Miami game, I think was just such a microcosm of toughness that Bill Self, A, always talks about and always wants his teams to feel, but the specific toughness of this team. And I remember him saying, in his, I believe it was the post-game press conference following the national title game where he mentioned that this group of guys became men. Like before his eyes, before all of our eyes, they grew up, they became grown men because they had to deal with a lot. He was dealing a lot, obviously, off the court with his dad passing away and the guys really rallied around him. And I thought that toughness, and to use the phrase that is popular everywhere now, they showed they got that dog in them during that Miami game. You know, Christian Brown had not been shooting especially well. He gets the lid off with that three-pointer after the just ice-cold three-point shooting in the first half. Ochai made some plays. Jalen Wilson, who I thought was magnificent for almost all of the NCAA tournament, he made plays. Big Dave with that huge and one that nearly brought the whole house down at the United Center. I think that was maybe my favorite game of the entire year because for as down as I was, both as a media member thinking, dang, I want KU to keep playing so I have more content to talk about, but also as an alumnus and a fan, that was, I think, maybe the most satisfying game of the entire year, all that buildup. Because, you know, college basketball, and you and I talked about this during the run, Andy, it's weird that, you know, the final four is the accomplishment. Right. And if you win the national title, obviously that's the cream of the crop. But you make it to the final four, that's a major success. And you hang banners for that or put up, you know, a new number on a banner, whatever it might be. To get there and to see this particular team that was just so likable and so tough and had overcome individually and as a group a lot of adversity. I think that Miami game is probably the one that will stick with me more than any. You know, I, I remember the the blowout over Texas Southern, how close that Creighton game was. Providence, I remember well. I remember watching the final four games. There were plenty of others during the year. God, Texas on senior night, that game is going to stay in my mind forever. Jalen Coleman lands almost hitting that buzzer-beating three. You know, so many moments over the course of the year. But I think that Miami game, more than anything, was just such a perfect example of how tough this group is and just how fun at their best they could be. Because that second half was probably the most fun basketball half maybe I've ever seen. Yeah, and it's, it's it's one of those things, like, it's probably not even the most 
you know, um, I guess impressive comeback that they had. I mean, like the way that they came back so quickly against North Carolina in the championship game, the way they came back against Kansas State earlier in the year, like that—that that is one of those though where that kind of wrapped up everything that we saw from the team in a single game, right? Overcoming, um, you know, some bad performances, like going and flipping that switch and just turning everything on that they had at the end at the end of there, and then, you know. Every single time they had their backs up against the wall for the most part, you know, someone else actually uh, in this episode talked about the Dayton game, you know, and like that was the one I believe it was Jesse Newell that that talked about it, Um, you know, but like that was the one where you like saw them do things wrong and then they came back later and did those things right and it turned out really well for them. And, you know, that's that's really what we saw from this team is that every single thing that they did throughout the year kind of helped inform them, helped develop them and get them ready for that NCAA tournament run they saw so many different looks so many different team types so many different things went their way and didn't go their way in the NCAA tournament that you can look back to pretty much any point in the season and say yeah that spot right there that helped them to know what they needed to do when they got down in the tournament and really had to find something to to dig deep for yeah and that Dayton game is a great example yeah I know Jesse had talked about that a lot during the tournament and the, you know, the things you could see on tape from that Dayton game all the way back in November until the tournament now gets stuck with KU. I mean, that's incredible coaching and a great job by the guys as well. And, and again, I mean, there were plenty of moments over the course of the year. You mentioned the Kansas state game. I was there for that one in Manhattan, lucky enough to see that. And that was an absolute joy to watch in the second half. And, you know, to see two all big 12 first teamers duke it out, you know, Ochai was insane. Nigel pack was somehow even better for Kansas state in that game. I mean, he was unreal. And to see that toughness and knowing what was going on behind the scenes, behind closed doors. I mean, this we said it during the tournament. I just said it a moment ago. This was a really likable team, both because the personalities were just great and because that's what you would want out of an organization. That's what you would want out of a program, out of a team. That's the kind of thing that youth coaches, high school, college pro, they try to get out of everyone. Togetherness. Anyone can have their day. We rally around them. We rally around whatever it takes. We show mental and physical toughness. I mean, that's what this team embodied. And the fact that Bill Self said, hey, look, in 2008, I thought we had a chance to win that national title. I never thought we had a chance with this team. And that's why this one feels so special. I thought this would be a Final Four team. I really did. And that's partially because I'm a huge homer, but also because I thought Remy Martin would kind of be the spark plug to put KU over the top. And I was right about that, just in the most, you know, Wrong way possible. possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, didn't expect that to be how we got to that point, but just the the fact that they were able to put it all together and get hot at the exact right time and were able to put together so many performances where it wasn't just, all right, Ochai, go get us 30 points and we win. It was McCormick just going nuts in the end of the NCAA tournament. Jalen Wilson had so many good games. Christian Brown, big bucket after big bucket. Remy was incredible. That togetherness, that group toughness is to me, what's going to be the lasting memory of this team. And I think that Miami game really, really personified that the best. All right. And that does it for all of our guests today. Now it's my turn to kind of give you my favorite story. And and as I traditionally do, I'm going to go ahead and give you, you know, I've got plenty of ones that I could talk about the Baylor game. Uh, you know, the, the Baylor game in Allen Fieldhouse, absolutely fantastic. Love that game. The comeback against Kansas State was absolutely fantastic. You know, like there are tons of games that I could highlight here, but one that, Nobody's talked about that I thought was a really, really good one. Um, not necessarily because it was like a, a huge win against someone that they were going to have trouble winning against. Um, but because of how that game happened and kind of the precursor to everything, 
um, you know, talking about explosive second halves, all of the absolutely fantastic stuff. That would be that first game against Oklahoma State. Um, that wasn't supposed to be their opening, you know, their opening game of the conference season. That was supposed to be TCU. Uh, but they didn't get an opportunity to do that because of COVID stuff. So the opening game that they had on the road against Oklahoma State down in Stillwater, you know, it was a ugly game in the first half and then going off in the second half, especially David McCormick, you know, it was, it was, it was just the first example of what McCormick has been able to do and was able to do this entire year was have big second halves when he needed them to really put the team on his shoulders. Um, you know, we got to see that quite a bit. You know, there are a bunch of other ones that I would love to talk about, but again, you know, I don't want to belabor this. I thought that was just a fantastic game. It kind of set the tone for a lot of the games that we saw the rest of the season. And so I wanted to make sure that we highlighted it. Um, you, look, there are so many moments and kind of like I talked about with several people, there were so many moments from this team. You could point to so many different players that you could come up with pretty much anything and I'd have a hard time arguing with you about it not being one of the better moments of the entire season. So absolutely fantastic. Really, really enjoyed all of it. And I hope you guys can share all of your favorite moments as well. You know, interact with this episode, whether it's on Twitter, you know, social media, whatever, uh, you know, you can reach out to me uh, like you normally would elsewhere. Um, and you'll know, share your favorite moments with me, but there are so many things to be thankful for from this team. So many great moments to celebrate. Um, we will be back tomorrow with kind of wrapping up the season, talking about all the other great things that happened across the entire athletic department. Um, so make sure you tune into tomorrow's episode. And if you haven't listened to the football episode yet, go back and listen to that one because there was a lot of great football stuff as well. You know, I, I feel like last or the, the last few years, we've tried to come up with something good for football and there's usually a moment or two. There was a lot more moments here for football this year than I than I really think most people were prepared for coming into the year. So, again, um, thank you guys so much for listening. Really do bring this podcast to you guys uh, because of the information I want to get you and because of how much I enjoy you know talking to you guys about the Jayhawks. I really enjoy doing this, but you know the main reason to do this is is for you guys. I do it for the listeners so that they can you know have this to listen to that they can get you know, all of the information that they need in as entertaining a way as possible. So head on over wherever you get your podcast, which Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcast. You can subscribe, get every single episode as soon as it comes out. Give us that rating and review, five stars and nice comments, either on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really does help to get the podcast out there so that more people are listening so we can do a lot more great things for you. But uh, if you ever have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, just contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast.gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. Um, you know, we are part of the 1012 Podcast Network covering all the teams in the Big 12 Conference. So head on over on Twitter at T-E-N-T-E-N-1-2-Network. You can find links to all the great shows that we have covering all of the teams in the Big 12 Conference. Um, we are on the Anchor platform, anchor.fm slash rock-chalk-podcast slash message will allow you to get a voicemail into the show. We'll get your voice directly on the show. I am hoping to incorporate a lot more of that next season so that we can talk about all of this great stuff that you guys have, all of your guys' takes and everything. So, um, But thank you guys so much for listening. Make sure you visit our sponsor, Homefield Apparel, promo code CHALK12 gets you 15% off your entire first order. But uh, thank you guys so much for listening, and we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Welcome one, welcome all, and yes, I want you to listen to the Tortillas and Takes podcast presented by 1012 Network. 
If you are a fan that is of a team that has 12 wins going to the national championships every year, that just loves to talk about all the success that your program has had, well, then you're probably not a Texas Tech fan. However, if you are a fan that just likes to really be in it every week, and, and really have a real good shot at winning it, you're also probably not a Texas Tech fan. However, if you have really high highs and really low lows and really drink quite a bit, you might be a Texas Tech fan. So come along and party with us here at Tortillas and Takes. We're going to sit back, crack open a cold one, eat some tortillas, and, and as always, we're going to stay wrecked, people. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.